You ready? 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 Watch out, Grateful! podcast features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. 
Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. Tonight, we bring to you Sports Whispers Weekly on a hectic week in combat sports. We had fights break out, not just in the UFC this past, uh, this past week, where there was no press conference, but we also had a fight breakout after AEW All Out last week that we have to talk about. We also have wow. the NFL. The NFL starting up uh, week one begin has officially begun with this past Thursday's Buffalo win over the LA Rams. We have the MLB playoffs to look at, as well as some rule changes for next for next season. And, of course, we'll also talk some college football as well. So, anyways, if you want to call in, the number is 657-383-1308. We will be live on the air for at least the next two hours. I'm not sure what we're going to do for the after show, depending on my connection. But, Lou, Uh-oh. it's been it, it's been absolute chaos this week you're telling me with uh I, I don't know if you've heard about what happened after last week's aew all-out pay-per-view i heard i didn't see it but i heard but uh i actually watched it as it happened well i watched the media scrum i should say that they did after right after the pay-per-view uh with with uh AEW newly crowned AEW world champion CM Punk and the owner of AEW Tony Khan who is also the co-owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars uh franchise in the NFL so basically what happened Lou is that certain members of the media had supposedly made up rumors that he attempted to get his former real-life best friend, Scott Colton, who is uh-huh. known to who is known to the indie scene and to AEW fans as Colt Cabana. Uh, right. There were rumors there were rumors that he attempted to get him fired supposedly, and this is a rumor that he start, he basically started out the media scrum bashing uh, the reporters for even bothering to report that without checking on their facts. And not just that, but uh, his denial of the rumor was also backed up by AEW president, Tony Khan, who had previously denied the rumor following ROH's death before dishonor pay-per-view. <laughs> and Punk then cited, and Punk then cited irresponsible people who call themselves EVPs. And uh, this is an exact quote from him uh, where he said, irresponsible people who call themselves EVPs or executive vice presidents. Uh, the executive vice presidents of AEW are fellow wrestlers Kenny Omega, as well as uh, Nick and Matt Jackson, the Young Bucks. Right. As well as, that, as, as, well as Hangman Adam Page. And he he then claimed that those those four are the reason why the rumors were leaked and reported in the weeks leading up to AEW All Out. 
Uh, he then also addressed an incident where Hangman Adam Page went off script in a face-to-face promo that they had on AEW Dynamite, which led up to their match back in May at Double or Nothing. And Punk, Punk's quoted as saying, what did I ever do in this world to deserve an empty-headed fucking dumb fuck like Hangman Adam Page to go out on national television and fucking go into business for himself? For what? What did I do? And multiple publications, which included Fightful Select, uh, PW Insider, and Wrestling Observer, uh, reported that after Punk made the comments, and let's face it, during the whole entire media scrum, he made multiple comments. I I didn't even read off all of them. Uh, Just now, just that was just one of the many comments that he had fired off. Apparently, right. after he went after he went back to his locker room, a backstage fight reportedly occurred that included mm-hmm. CM Punk, uh, Punk's friend and and producer Ace Steel, as well as Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. Now, supposedly, what had happened is so there there was an altercation following Punk returning to his locker room where Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks supposedly kicked down his locker room door and basically an altercation happened and essentially a fight ended up ensuing where uh, I guess one of the Young Bucks supposedly got knocked out or at the very least he had a black eye coming out of it but uh, it's it's not confirmed yet whether or not one of the one of the young bucks was actually legitimately knocked out. Uh, there were multiple multiple punches thrown, including uh, Kenny Omega got bit by CM Punk's friend Ace Steel supposedly, as uh, according to the reports that came out. And because of a colorful character, uh, it was not in character. Oh. No, but, but he it was a not, character, though. And, yeah. yeah, but the, here, here's the thing, Lou. The, part of the reason why yeah. I think it's real and not in character, because if it was, if it was, you know, part of an angle or something that they were shooting, they would have had mm. a filming crew there. There was oh, no right. filming crew. Yes. Uh oh. There, there was no filming crew, and if anything, Punk has not even been. Uh, on screen, I don't believe, at the same time as Kenny Omega or the Young Bucks. So there would be no reason for there to be a camera crew there. You know, there would be no reason for them to turn this into an angle. And what kind of confirmed things is this past Wednesday on AEW Dynamite, Tony Khan came out and announced that Punk had been stripped of his newly won AEW title and in, in, indefinitely suspended from AEW because of the fight, uh, as well as Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks were also suspended, as well as stripped of their newly won AEW World Trios Championship. And there were also there were also other people who were suspended. Uh, I know Michael Nakazawa, a, uh, a fellow wrestler, was also involved. Uh, Christopher Daniels, who was a former wrestler turned producer. There were a couple of other people involved who were also suspended uh, reportedly. 
from uh, as a result of even just being in the same room. And I mean, there's many different stories that have come out. Uh, you know, both sides have basically said that each one was the aggressor in the situation. Uh, there was one. There was one story that came out that claimed that Kenny Omega was only there to try and uh, to try and protect CM Punk's dog, who uh, Punk had brought to the uh, to the arena uh. with him because it because because the event was in Chicago, and, which right. is Punk's hometown, and Omega was basically in there ju- just trying to get the dog away from uh, Skirmish. Uh, Ace Steel supposedly was trying to protect his uh, his wife, apparently, who was for some reason in the room as well. Yeah, 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 I don't yeah. know. Uh, yeah, it's it, you know it, it, the the thing is, Lou. There's so many different reports that it's hard to believe. Right. What, it's hard to make out what is actually real. But both yes. sides have basically said that each that the that the other side was the aggressor in this situation. Hmm. Um. However, though, it, you know, regardless of the suspension, it doesn't really matter anyways because Punk to- ended up tearing a muscle in his arm during his match at All Out, which will require surgery, and it will keep him out of the ring for up to eight months. So he was going to have to – yeah, he, he was going to have to, uh, you know, relinquish the title regardless. But uh, what are your thoughts, Lou, hearing about this whole thing? Because to me – I would think it seems it seems like Punk was the instigator because he's the one who even yeah. mentioned those comments. Right, that's what I meant by he was in character because you know of the comments he made, and I, you know, I've I've heard about you know the type of wrestler he is, so um, this uh, doesn't surprise me. I guess you can say Punk was being a real punk in this case. Oh boy, you know. yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the comments that he made, it's I can't really say that this is something new that I've seen no. out of him because he made he made similar comments when he was uh when he was contracted with the WWE uh about I've a heard about ago. His, you he know, made comments. Yeah, he made similar comments about uh the WWE's medical staff and stuff right. who they who Ooh. he claimed who he claimed had uh had uh misdiagnosed him with the specific injury that he was dealing with. And he was, he ended up having to be forced to go out and work the Royal rumble. Mm. So, you know, that, uh, that was part of the reason why he ended up leaving the WWE and he made like a whole bunch of different comments around that time. So, I mean, it's, it's not uncommon for him to be outspoken, but no, I think the big, the big thing here is, is that what the, you know, what were they expecting? What were they expecting when he came out and made those comments? Did he think that there was not going to be any sort of retaliation? And uh, on, top of of that, on top of that, Tony Khan, uh, dur- during the rest of the media scrum, because they had multiple wrestlers come out and speak to the media uh, during the media scrum, and during part of during part of the media scrum, you can see security literally running uh, from the side of the of the podium to try and yeah. get to the backstage area. So, and 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 Tony Khan wasn't even informed about this until uh, 
Chris Jericho, a, a longtime veteran wrestler and uh, former AEW champion, told him after after he was done answering questions from the media, he then said something something along the lines of "shit just went down," and then Tony Khan was confused by it. Yeah, Tony Khan seemed seemed very confused by it, and he said, and he, and yeah. he basically said, "No, shit went down. It's bad," or something something like that. Mm-hmm. And I, don't you think, Lou, that I, I mean, th- this is involving the executive vice president uh, of of the company as well. Mm-hmm. Don't you think there has to be some severe punishment handed down, like? Oh I mean, yeah, yeah. There's suspension. There's suspensions, but I would almost think that Punk would have to be fired because of this. No question. And not just that, but I would I would assume that probably the best case scenario, or you know, the best thing for for Tony Khan to do, honestly, you know, because if you're the executive vice president of a company, you can't be involved in certain things like this. Especially if you're potentially the aggressors, you know, storming into his locker room and starting up the entire the entire fight. I would mm-hmm. have to think that that potentially, okay, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks may stay on the roster as active wrestlers, but I would I would have to think that coming up next would be Tony Khan stripping them of their executive vice president uh, roles. Right, what what are your thoughts on that, Lou? Because it, it just seems like it, it it seems like a suspension isn't enough of a punishment. Yeah, well, yeah, I you know I've heard about his reputation, so I'm not really surprised by the comments he made. You know, Punk, you know, is you know basically just you know your average jackass in the, in the organization. So yeah. I'm not I'm not too I'm not too surprised by that at all. Yeah, and it's it, it, many wrestling spoiler accounts had ha, had been tweeting out about this, and one in particular, uh, Slice Wrestling, who has basically gotten almost every single every single thing they've posted has come true. They basically said yes. that following following the media scrum, AEW will be forever changed. To me, if it, it hasn't kinda, already. Well, yeah, I mean, it's already it's already been changed, but uh, I have to think that because there were there were uh, rumors that came out that that multiple wrestlers, multiple talent, according to Fightful Select, uh, they wanted Punk gone from AEW. They wanted him fired, right. essentially, and. There's been also some other talent who believed uh, supposedly that it's that the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega are the problem. So the, hmm. basically, the locker room has been completely split on this whole on this whole ordeal. Yeah. And there was one side that basically it's not confirmed which side gave this ultimatum, but they basically said it's either it's either us or them. You keep us. And get rid of them, or we leave. Ah, so, the old take it or leave it situation. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I mean, and Lou, this is a company 
that has been around that started up back in 2019. They have a yeah. promoter who was named promoter of the year for each of the last three years. And now all of a sudden, it, it almost seems like, Lou, that this is turning into WCW. That oh, this is becoming WCW yeah. all over again, where just like in WCW, there were uh, egos basically uh, took control. And, no and WCW basically brought themselves uh, near bankruptcy. WCW is a joke. And and eventually they got bought out by the WWE. Right. So, WCW you know, sucked. I'm kind of, yeah, the, the, I, I should say the later years of WCW sucked. But, like, obviously when they brought in Hogan, Hall, and Nash, and they formed the NWO and everything, I mean, they were still around the height of their popularity, but... It wasn't until WWE started up the Attitude Era that WCW really started right. to falter. Yeah. And, oh, we just got one. Uh, Albert Pujols just hit 696, tied for fourth. Uh, I, 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 didn't get, I didn't get the full thing that ESPN said, but he just hit 696. So he is he now four before the season's over. 22, 22 games left, Lou. Yeah, but you never know. I mean, he can have a slump. He can get injured or whatnot. So, you know, I mean, doable, but he has to stay healthy. He has to stay healthy, yeah, of course. But, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely doable with 22 games left, only four homers to go. I mean, he, he could very well make it to, to make it to number 700. Yeah. Now, will Judge but, make 61? Hmm. But that's another for another time. Uh, I mean, come on, Lou. Six, six homers to go. Six homers to yeah, go in 22 games. Yeah, but the Yankees are slump, you know, but the Yankees playing the way they've been playing, you know, and they're not even scoring that many runs. So it does, does uh, call for concern. But he has been the only bright spot in that entire slump, though. Thank God. So, he's been that one bright spot in the Yankees slump that they're on right now. So it's it's entirely possible they that he could that he could end up uh, tying or breaking Roger Maris's record, the legit record, would you say? Yeah. Yeah, the legit not the, record. Not the cheating. Not the cheating um, error. No. <laughs> But uh, anyway, so you know, back back to AEW uh, real quick here. It ju- it just seem it, it seems like the more that and here here's the thing too. They had a huge return that night, Lou, uh, of Maxwell Jacob Friedman, who was or people know him as MJF, who was perhaps right. he, he got uh, this. Huge. He got this huge ovation from the Chicago crowd, even outshining CM Punk, who is from Chicago himself. And the night was supposed to be about MJF, and every yes. you know there would be he would he would have this buzz all around him, 
And then all of a sudden, CM Punk does what he did at the media scrum, and the fight happens, and all of a sudden, that buzz around MJF now turns into the buzz around CM Punk. Mm. And it, it's it's just unfair. You know, for a guy who has been yes. complaining about uh, about his contract and everything and how he wasn't happy with his position in the company, you know, they were starting to build him. They left off AEW All Out, building him up like he was going to be the next world champion. And then all of a sudden, Punk decides to steal the spotlight from him. Right. With comments, with comments that he made following uh, All Out. So, regardless, obviously, this is still an ongoing situation. Uh, neither side has been able to comment on it because of the fact that uh, law enforcement apparently is involved. That, te- that, that tells you another thing, Lou. If law enforcement is involved, uh, there's no way that, 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 that this is a work, as, uh, right. you know, as wrestling fans like to call it. Uh, there's no way that this is a work. This is a legitimate, uh, a legitimate issue yes. that is still currently under investigation, and all parties involved, including MJF, apparently, are part of the investigation. So obviously, when more comes out about this, uh, we will break it down here as uh, once once we officially end up getting more information that will inevitably come out over the next couple of weeks or so. Now, we go from AEW to the UFC as a very unusual incident happened, Lou, as the UFC usually holds a pre-fight press conference a couple of days before the event. Case I believe it was it was either Wednesday or Thursday that they were that they would hold a pre-fight press conference, and uh-huh. all of the fighters in the top three bouts of the of the night were expected to participate. However, it kept being delayed, and only two fighters showed up with Dana White. Yeah, uh, UFC President Dana White. Now White had announced that fighters would be brought in pairs. But then he ended up canceling the press conference. I heard. Uh, instead, for everybody's safety, and it was later revealed that in all, uh, there were multiple reporters on scene, including Ariel Helwani of ESPN, who reported that an altercation involving four different fighters and their respective teams took place backstage, and it started with. Kamzat Shamayev, who was supposed to be going against Nate Diaz tonight, uh, fighting with Kevin Holland, and Nate Diaz mm-hmm. eventually ended up getting involved in the in the uh, in the fracas that ended up happening. As a result of that, they ended up basically can they ended up canceling the press conference. Then Kamzat Shamayev ended up missing weight by about seven and a half pounds, I think it was. So his his fight with Diaz then got called off uh, at the weigh-ins, and they instead had Kamzat they they booked Kamzat Shamayev to fight Kevin Holland, which is funny considering the fact that that's what that's what the brawl was uh, backstage yeah, before the yeah. press conference. 
And now they officially signed Nate Diaz to fight Tony Ferguson tonight in what a lot of people have called a dream fight. For uh, for many years, people have wanted to see Diaz and Ferguson face off, and tonight they're finally going to get the chance to do so. Uh, but, I mean, it's that just shows you, Lou, how real the sport of mixed martial arts is, the fact that yes. – uh, even but uh, even press conferences can get canceled because mm-hmm. of because let's keep let's keep That's in mind the fighters. Yeah, but the, I mean the fighters are in the same area as everyone else during yeah. the uh, you know uh, in the lead up to the press conference because uh, basically what they do for the press conference is they set up a stage and normally they have like two different rows where they would have fighters sit down and answer questions from the media. And all the fighters would normally be brought out at the same time and be on stage at the same time during the entire uh, press conference. And I give credit to Dana White here. He said for, for the safety of everybody involved because of what happened, that's what it was. That's what it was. Albert Pujols is now tied for fourth all time on the uh, yeah. on the home runs list. Uh, but he said he said you know for the safety of everybody involved, and to, you know to ensure that it, that things don't escalate even further, we're going to cancel the press conference, and uh, we'll see everybody at the weigh-ins. And that obviously drew, you know, he apologized to everybody who was attending, uh, any fans, the media and whatnot. And he said, we, we've never had to do this, but because of, uh, keeping everybody's safety in mind, this is what we have to do. And essentially the fight got, or the uh, press conference got canceled as a result. So I give credit to Dana White because at least he was uh, he knows how to manage his organization. So what what are your thoughts on that, Lou? That for the for the first time ever, a UFC ended up having to be canceled, which helps promote the fight. Is the pre- the press conference helps promote the fight, but it ended up having yes, to be canceled. It had to be canceled because of of a uh, backstage a backstage fight a real life fight. Just when we thought we were seeing on WWE and all that, now we get this a press conference get, get yeah. canceled. You know, it's been being canceled except, a wrestling match or whatever. Now you got this. What's next? Except the difference is this is between actual fighters, right? This is between actual fighters as opposed to uh, as opposed to wrestlers. I mean, you know, UFC. You, you would almost expect it more from the UFC than you would from. Oh, I would. Than you would a real life fight occurring at a wrestling event. Yes. So, rega- regardless, I mean, it's been a hectic week in combat sports to begin with. Uh, but you know, you, you know what though? Let's go into Major League Baseball because uh, not only do we have the playoffs to look at, but we also have some rule changes 
that are expected to yeah. be implemented beginning next season. And they have. And uh, there are three. There are three rule changes that will be improve that that'll be aimed at improving the pace of play, as well as Good action, luck. and the safety. At, uh, the safety of players at the major league level. Uh, in right. particular, we'll start off with this first one. Um, there will be a pitch timer officially. Yes. And so basically, what what happens with the pitch timer is there will be a thirty second timer between batters. Between pitches, there will be a fifteen second timer with the bases empty, and a twenty second timer if there are runners on base. Yes. And at last check here, the pitch timer had reduced the average time of a game in minor league baseball by about 26 minutes. Now, this rule, which includes limits on throws to first base, has also increased stolen base attempts. And uh, with this rule in place in the minors this year, steal attempts per game have increased from 223 in 2019 at a 68% success rate to 2.83 this year at a 77% success rate. And in particular, uh, they, they basically dotted, uh, dotted these uh, bit by bit here. So what happens is the pitcher must begin his motion to deliver the pitch before the expiration of the pitch timer. Pitchers who violate the timer are charged with an automatic ball, and batters who violate the timer are charged with an, ad, with an automatic strike. Batters must be in the box and alert to the pitcher by the eight-second mark, or else they will be charged with an automatic strike. Uh, with runners on base, the timer does reset if the pitcher attempts a pickoff or if they step off of the rubber. Uh, pitchers are limited to two disengagements per plate appearance, and disengagements mean meaning a pickoff attempt or a step off. Right. Uh, however, however, though the limit is reset if a runner or runners advance during the plate appearance. If a third pickoff attempt is made, the runner will automatically advance one base if the pickoff attempt is not successful. Now, what doesn't count as a disengagement are mound visits, injury timeouts, and offensive team timeouts. So mound visits will still remain the same. You know, they'll have a certain, a certain amount of mound visits per game that they can, uh, that they can still utilize. Those will remain the same. Mm, that's, uh, the, that's team, what they got to cut down on because that's what slows the game up. Now, if a team has used up all five of its allotted mound vi- mound visits prior to the ninth inning, then that team will uh, will receive an additional mound visit in the ninth inning. So basically, this effectively will serve as an additional disengagement. Right. Uh, umpires may provide extra time if warranted by special circumstances. So, for example. If a catcher were to be thrown out on the bases to end the previous half inning and they needed additional time to put on their pitching or to put on their catching gear, then the umpire could allow that to happen. Yes. So 
you know, I was talking I was talking with my uncle earlier today, Lou, about this exact thing. And he seems to think that this ruins the integrity of the game. You know, I was thinking when people were thinking that, especially the old time baseball fans, like, what the hell are you doing with our game? You're 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 screwing up, you're taking away the purity of the game. What the hell are you people thinking? And I was asking my crew tonight, uh what they what they thought of that. But a lot of people, you know, seem to agree with the uh new changes coming up. So that's really kinda of who you ask. I mean, uh, you know, honestly, Lou, I don't mind the change. Maybe that's because I'm a millennial. Who knows? But I don't right, really right. mind the changes because, no, you know, a lot of people, uh, a, a lot of these games, if you remember previous years, some games would go on three, three hours, three and a half hours. God, depending on how long. Oh, we have a pick six here. Kentucky with a touchdown pick six over Florida. They currently lead 22, oh. soon to be 23 to 16. Well, give me the point. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what I, what I was saying was, you know, some games have previously gone uh, in previous years, you know, maybe three hours, three and a half hours. Then, of course, if so you go extra four. innings, yeah, even four. And if you go extra innings, you know, who knows how long it'll go. I kind of agree with the pit. I kind of agree with some of these because there are some at-bats that seem to go on forever. When you have a pitcher, when you have a pitcher attempting like 10 pickoffs in the same Mm at-bat. And of course, of course, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I'm sort of misconstruing the actual amount of pickoff attempts, but it's of course it, it almost seems like it takes forever for certain at bats to, to you know right. to to be done with to be done with and move on to the next batter. And there are <sighs> some pitchers. It's it's almost comical. It's almost like the uh, it's almost like Giannis Antetokounmpo in uh, the NBA when fans count the amount the amount of seconds it takes for him to attempt a free throw right because of because of the amount of uh you know the amount of time he takes in between free throw attempts and mm-hmm. it's you know it's kind of the same thing in major league baseball i mean like literally i i understand you know you're you're trying to get signals from the catcher on what to throw and whatnot. And if you disagree with what the catcher wants you to throw and everything. Yeah. But, but now it's mean, it, up, stupid. It kind of gets ridiculous, Lou, at the it amount does. of time in between pitches. I kind of agree with this, with this, uh, the fact that I 15 like seconds, 15 seconds with the bases empty and 20 seconds with runners on base. I mean, obviously you, you can't afford, you can't afford the extra, uh, the extra second to take in, right. to take in mind, to take in mind the fact that, you know, you have runners on base, so you got to decide, do I want to attempt to pick them off or uh, what yeah. do I want to do here? So I yeah. have no problems with Those that. Those days are over. Thank um, God. Yeah. And honestly, I, I don't really think it affects the integrity of the game. I mean, no. It, but you ask the old, it, you ask the old timers that have been fans like fifty, sixty years and whatnot. I remember, like, oh well, I remember how the game was played and whatnot. I, 
And I, now I, damn it. Look what they've done to our baseball. Oh, no. Oh. Close you get the idea. Yeah, but at the same time, Lou, even even though there are old time old time baseball fans that want the game to be played as it originally was, keeping you have to keep in mind that baseball is trying to get a younger generation to be interested right. in the game. Well, lots of luck with that. I mean, it's been said multiple times that baseball is perhaps the slowest sport out of every sport. Out of every yes. major sport that there is, I've seen a snail move so, faster than some of these games. So this is Major League Baseball's way of trying to get people to trying to get younger fans interested and keep them interested in watching well, baseball. Thing. What took you so long, dummy? Yeah, and plus, I mean, I I I, li- I like the. The fact that they're limited to two disengagements as well, because okay, yeah. you know I've seen I've seen stretches where pitchers have thrown four consecutive pickoff attempts to try and get somebody out at first. I mean, it, 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 obviously, if if you don't get them within the first two attempts, chances are you're not going to get them within the next within within the next two after that. I don't think so. All it does is it takes up more time to where there were some instances where an inning felt like it almost took an hour. Yeah. So like a traffic jam on the Golden State Parkway. Yeah. So so you know I like I like this rule. I like the fact that they're putting in a pitch timer. Yeah. Because they showed that a long time it, ago. Yeah. You know, if if it works in the minors, then obviously obviously something must be must be uh, working. And yeah. also it says, also it says here in italics, note uh, a note that the rule will be used in MLB is slightly altered from the rule that was used in minor league baseball this year. In minor league baseball, it was a 14 second timer with the bases empty in 18 seconds. Right. Uh, with runners on, or 19 seconds if you're in AAA, uh, with runners on. And batters required to be in the box by the nine-second mark and a strict limit of two disengagements per plate appearance. Uh, And in the most recent week of play, the minors have seen an average of .45 violations per game. So they're averaging less than half a violation per game. That's an improvement. So it means that it's actually working. Yes. Now, Hopefully, the next... Uh, we'll translate... Half the average of the majors... I mean, the minors will translate over to the majors. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully it will. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, you know, another thing that was brought up too was the fact that oh, millionaires are not gonna millionaires are not gonna want to uh, pitch or, or are not gonna want to play with limits. Are you sure about that? Uh, because the players, this was something that was brought up in the in the uh, contract negotiations negotiations for the CBA. So the players would have had to agree to this. Of course, not everybody, you know, likes the idea. Well, I'm not surprised by that. I mean, I knew there's going to be some people bitching about it. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously, there there are, there will be some people who will bitch, but regardless, you know, it's still right. – it, it had to be agreed to by the players for it to have even been included in the CBA like it was. Right. Uh, the next the next uh, rule involves defensive shift limits, as the defensive team must have a minimum of four players on the infield with at least two infielders completely on either side of second base. Now, these restrictions are intended to increase the batting average on balls in play to allow infielders to better showcase their athleticism and to restore more traditional, more traditional outcomes on batted balls. As of the, as of the right, as of this writing, which came, uh, it was posted a couple, a couple of days ago, the league wide batting average on balls in play of 291 in 2022 is six points Mm -hmm. lower than in 2012 and 10 points lower than in 2006. And this all has to do with the fact that teams have been able to manage the shift, but they've been able to utilize it in a correct way to limit, uh, to limit batting averages. Now in particular, it says here, the four infielders must be within the outer boundary of the infield. When the pitcher is on the rubber fielders may not switch sides. So in other words, a team cannot reposition its best defender on the side of the infield that the batter is more likely to hit the ball. They must stay on the side that they're on. Now, if the infield if the infielders are not aligned properly at the time of the pitch, the offense can choose an automatic ball or the results of the play, depending on what the play is. So if it ends up being a double, they can decide to keep the double. If it's yeah, if it results in an out, then they can choose to instead to have an automatic ball. Uh, this rule, though, does not preclude a team from positioning an outfielder in the infield or in the shallow outfield grass in certain situations. However, mm-hmm. it does prohibit it does prohibit the four outfielder alignment. Now, Lou, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with that either. I mean, we saw so no. many times we saw so many times when you have dangerous hitters like David Ortiz. Albert Pujols, yes. you know, when you have dangerous hitters come up to bat, you would always see teams position their players towards a certain part of the field to where, you know, the ball is more likely to be hit. Now, in return, though, there have been some instances where the shift has actually has actually gone against the team that's implementing the shift. Mm-hmm. So, to me, it, 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 I, I, I actually I agree with the with the shift restrictions because, okay, I mean there's a re, there's a reason why infielders are called infielders. They yes. stay in the infield. They don't go out that to the outfield like we. They don't go out to the outfield like we've seen happen on certain occasions. Right. And it's the same thing with outfielders. You know, outfielders should stay in the outfield, although they do have the opportunity to move further <laughs> inward if they want to. Right. In the shift, that I, it just seems so stupid where they have 
they move the shortstop over to second base, and they have to, and they have the second baseman move over into the outfield. It just seems so ridiculous to implement because uh, it leaves yeah. such a wide, it leaves such a wide open hole in the in the infield for any pitcher, you know, any hitter that can that can direct the ball a certain way would be able to take advantage of that. But what are your yeah. thoughts, Lou, though? What are your thoughts on the uh, on the restrictions added to defensive shifts? Well, personally, I didn't really see anything wrong with it. I mean, you know, that was uh, the defensive shifts. Mm, I wasn't really, I wasn't really um, too affected by that much. But that's how they want to go with it. You know, I have, I have no problem with that either. I mean, that was the least I think of the um, uh, rule changes that I didn't really uh, think about my, much of. The pitch clock, yeah, that was a, that's about time. But the defensive shift, uh, no. I mean, I guess people think it's like a so I say a cheap tactic, and I think that's what they want to try to avoid. Yeah. I mean, I would think yeah, this would actually improve. I think this would actually improve teams defensively because yes. you're not you're, – you're, you're covering the entire field instead of, instead of moving part of your infield over a certain direction, which would leave a gigantic hole if a, if, a, if a hitter were able to redirect the ball that way. You know, at least this way, every part of the field will be covered like it should be in baseball. So, I mean, I have no problems with it. Uh, And this next one, this next one uh, involves bigger bases. So this means that basically the bases, which have been squared up to 15 inches, will instead be 18 inches. Now, home home plate will remain unchanged, and I like it too because of the fact that multiple times players who players who have tried to steal bases there's been different collisions that have taken place yeah that's that that that, that they want to try to avoid too i mean i think it's a good rule if it's got to cut down the collisions where there's been too many of in recent years that is a smart move to you know enlarge the bases let's hope we can make a difference out of that but i've seen people get caught on the on the rubber or whatnot uh turn back and uh, you know, that's that's becoming too much. So I think it is a, a smart move that they do increase the size of the bases. Yeah, I mean there there's been there's been multiple times where there have been collisions. I mean one in particular. Who made it count? Uh, I one in particular I can recall. Uh, Dustin Pedroia and Manny Machado. With oh, Manny yeah. Machado basically basically spiking Dustin Pedroia which effectively yep. ended his season and essentially it ended his career because Pedroia was never the same after that. No. And this is actually, this is uh, especially important at first base as well, where fielders will have an extra three inch advantage in order to stay out of harm's way from the base runner while receiving throws. As sometimes I, I, I can't tell you how many times base runners have come incredibly close to colliding with a uh, with first baseman in particular with their uh with their legs and so ba- basically 
not only will it have an impact on the success rate for stolen bases, but the primary goal is to give players more room to operate and to avoid collisions, to make sure collisions Which don't take with, place. Again, another thing that should have been done a long time ago. Yeah. That's all, oh, without a doubt, it should have been done a long time yes. ago. The way uh, so collisions, this, you know, and, you know, that, that has, that has to, you know, but yeah. that down. And hopefully this will be, this will be, you know, and that, you know, the collisions won't be as frequent. Yeah. So uh, this change will create a four and a half inch reduction in the distance between first and second base and between second base and third, which will actually encourage more stolen base attempts. The bigger bases could also have the effect of reducing oversliding in which a player loses contact with the bag while sliding through it, which we have seen happen God knows how many times in the majors. I lost count. So ultimately, you know, I mean, I can't find one single rule change to be, you know, to be uh, annoyed with. I cannot find one single rule change. So that's fine with me. Ultimately, I, I, I just, I don't see what the uproar is from certain fans. I mean, I understand, you know, old school fans want to keep, want to keep the game the way it is, but the way it always has been, but you know, I just – this can only improve the game, basically. Right. Oh, we have I an upset – uh, we have an upset Kansas just beat West Virginia by 13 in overtime. And when I say 13, they ended the game in overtime with after scoring after scoring a touchdown to make it 49-42 – Kansas then picked off a pick six off of West Virginia to finish the game 55-42. to 42. Oh. That's an usual overtime score, but okay. Yeah, needless to say, uh, th- Lou, there's been a lot of upsets this week. Yeah, we almost I mean, had a big one. I mean, we can't we can't consider Kansas an upset uh, over West Virginia, but right now we have Kentucky over Florida. Who knows if if that'll stay or if uh, Florida will get back in it? I don't know if I consider uh, an upset. You don't you don't consider uh, number twenty over number twelve? No, not not a not a tremendous upset. I mean, that can go either way because you know these teams uh, know each other a lot. Their conference uh, rivals are both ranked. I mean, so it wouldn't really be, you know, a huge upset. True. But we we did end up seeing number 19, Wisconsin, get upset today. We saw number yep. eight, Notre Dame. Uh, Notre, let me just say this. Notre Dame is nowhere close to the team that they once were. I don't know what the hell no. half franchise uh, with, you know, with that university. Uh, maybe right. it's because they lost their coach, but – Notre Dame has been nowhere close. They played nowhere close to the way an eight seed should play right now. Uh, Texas A&M got upset as well today. Number six, Texas A&M. 
against uh, number State. 17. Yeah, against Appalachians. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, let's talk about this for a second. Appalachian State, you know, this is the main reason why I did not pick Appalachian State in uh, the game's gridiron this week was because I saw who they were playing. They were playing Texas A&M. I'm like, yeah. okay, there's there's no way that they can put up the same amount of points against Texas A&M that they put up against North Carolina last week. Lost. Where they put up six, where they put up sixty-one points. I said, "There's no way in hell that they can put up that many points against Texas A&M." And considering the spread right. was like eighteen and a half, I'm like, "There's no way that I, I don't even think Appalachian State even covers." I was expecting a blowout by Texas A&M. Yeah, and somehow Appalachian State bounced back. Uh, bounced back today. And squeaked out a seventeen to fourteen victory over Texas A and M. It, it right. just this didn't. But or did you say or did you say surprise? I said surprise. Oh, okay. I thought I thought you said but. So I thought I thought there was I thought there was something else coming there. No, um, Mac pause. Yeah, you know it. It just it it seems so weird, the fact that somehow, Appalach a team like Appalachian State who has never really been ranked in recent years, never even come close to being ranked, is able was able to handle Texas A and M like they were today. You gotta remember though too, Steve, that this is new to them. I mean, you know, now that the F, they're in the FBS because. For many, many years, they were the FCS, which nobody really gives a rat's ass about. So now the yeah. recognition of this, I mean, the biggest upset was they beat Michigan at home, you know, a while back. And that night, that night gave them some notice. So like, hey, you know what? This team doesn't suck that much after all. Maybe we should move them up, you know, you know at least by the end of the game, some respect. So now they're, they're, now they're getting the respect I think they, that they've been looking for. Yeah, yeah, I think they definitely have. But the, the thing is, especially the bigger thing, too, is they beat an SEC team here right. in Texas A&M. And SEC, we all know, is the toughest conference to play in. And yeah. somehow they were able to, co- they were able to come into Texas, a- to, uh, to College Station, and take one from Texas A&M. Yes. I mean that that right there was unreal. You know, I I was not expecting Texas A&M to lose whatsoever. Neither did I. And what about the what about the upset that? Well, I should say almost became an upset as Texas nearly beat Alabama, but Alabama snuck it in with a last uh, minute field goal. Damn it! Right. Yeah. I. You know, Lou. I. I was expe- I wasn't even expecting this one to be close. Alabama was favored by twenty. I was. I was. You were. Yes. Oh I yeah, because you, did, ta- you did take team. the Longhorns. Yeah, I, I, b- I believe actually. Yeah, if if I recall correctly, I think you did actually. Let me let me take a look real quick. Uh, no, you did not take the Longhorns or the Crimson Tide actually this week. Right. So, but if I did, I would have took Texas. 
Yeah, you know, the, there was one person, I think, in Sports Whispers that took Texas. Everybody else took uh, Alabama, uh, those who picked from that game, including me. So that's, that's a big loss. And, you know, I was also, uh, I was also taking a little stab uh, with Hawaii as well, with them having a, a, 51, point, a 51 point cushion against Michigan. But right now, Michigan's up 21 to nothing. So that's not looking too good so right they're now. They're not playing that because it was delayed for a while. Yeah, they are they are officially playing right now. So, but yeah, I'm I'm hoping that Hawaii can somehow score some points here to kind of give me a little bit of a little bit of a cushion because otherwise, if Michigan continues to score, this is a, a, a plus fifty one is going to be looking Hawaii that good. Sucks. Yeah, but they've been at least somewhat competitive in recent years. I think they're in basketball. Yeah. You know, we also had Pittsburgh get upset today as well as Houston. Yes. Well, Pittsburgh game, that could went either way. I mean, those are two uh, uh, top schools in there, so I wasn't really going to either one was an upset. It would be nice if Pittsburgh would have won, but um, that hardly, I think, counts as an upset. Uh, I mean the, vo- the the volunteers against Pittsburgh. Uh, I guess I'm calling it an upset because of where Tennessee finished last year and where Pittsburgh finished last year. Yeah, but overall, so, I mean, no, I mean, because Tennessee's really, you know, Tennessee just had an off year last year, and you know they're they're, you know, they're too good to be, you know, that bad of a team to be, you know, like way down. Right. So I think that game could have went either way. So I don't look at that as an upset right. at all. But we did we did have Texas Tech beat Houston in overtime, thirty three to thirty, and t- the fans then ended up storming the field and tearing down the goalposts as there a result again. of the win. Uh, I thought this one was a complete surprise. I didn't think that Texas Tech would be would be able to pull off the upset like they did, but that was I surprise. consider this an upset. That one I'll give you. Yeah, I consider it an upset, considering uh, where, considering the the fact that Houston is usually somewhere in the top twenty-five, and and Texas Tech has been in and out in previous years. Right. Uh, and also, oh my God, you know, I just I keep going back to Notre Dame. How the hell do they allow Marshall to beat them today? Marshall. Yeah. Marshall. We are Marshall. 26 to 21. And Notre Dame was basically, they were held to seven points until the fourth quarter when they finally put up two touchdowns. I mean, seriously. There's, you know, there's there's something wrong there when it comes to uh, Notre Dame. I don't know if it's the change of a coach. Or they that lost be a certain players, or or if it's because they lost certain players to uh, to the draft last year. I mean, I don't I don't understand what is up with this uh, with this team. But I think it's all related. I mean, you lost your coach, which was devastating to them, and you lost you know good players, and you know you couldn't replace them with you know with better players. So in a way, you know, it all kind of goes in together. 
Because sometimes, you know, yeah. things like that, that's all it takes. You can go from contenders to pretenders, and you'll be the laughing stock of college football. You lost a who? By what? True. What kind of a team are you, you good for nothing son of a bitch? <laughs> right. And, you know, I had money I had $2,000 on this game. Thanks a lot. Going back to Alabama and Texas, actually, uh, you know, everybody was surprised, actually, the fact that Texas hung in there because Quinn, U- Quinn Ewers went down with an injury early oh, on. Well, they're the players. Yeah. And everybody everybody was expecting, okay, here's where Alabama takes over. Alabama's going to take over and, you know, uh they're going to run up the score. They're going to run up the score because Texas won't be able to hang in there. Yeah, Texas won't be able to hang in there. Bringing in Hudson Card, who went 14 mm-hmm. of 22 with 158 yards. He didn't throw a touchdown or a pick. Uh and actually somehow had a worse quarterback rating than Ewers. Uh, he had a 69.9% uh, you know, quarterback rating, while Ewers had a 96.3. Um, but obviously the big story here was the, the non-safety call against Alabama. Oh, uh, yeah. What should have been, what should have been a, supposedly a safety in the should've end been. zone. Uh, that might have given the win. Yeah, it, it might have been able to give them the win, but however, it, when I looked at the replay, it, it was called. First yeah. off, it was called roughing. It was called roughing the passer. Okay. Uh, at the on the replay, Young was getting tackled. Now his shin was down, but I could not determine if he had the ball if he had the ball out of his hands at the time that right. his shin was down, and. First off, the roughing the passer, there's no reason. He's already being tackled. He's going to be down. There's no reason for that second Texas defender to come charging in like they did. And, I, you know, I, I had a huge argument with, uh, with one of our moderators in Sports Whispers about this uh, privately. I didn't, I didn't put it out uh, in the open. But privately, right. I had a huge argument with him about this. And I showed him a, I showed him a part of the clip of the replay, and I froze it when contact was made between an already down Bryce Young and the Texas defender. And the Texas defender literally had his knee or his thigh on Bryce Young's upper body, like on his head or on, or on his stomach. There's no need to have contact with an already downed quarterback. No, it's like kicking them, kicking them when you're down. You don't do that. So that right there, I felt kicking that was down. enough. Out of here. I I felt that that was enough. Even though, granted, yeah, you can't. Uh, there's no way that you can stop a charging bull from from running full force. You know, if they're if, right. they're if the momentum of their run is already running, they have to they have to end somewhere. Uh so here's the problem though. The fact is he made the contact. So regardless mm-hmm. of if it was intentional or not, that's still I feel is deserving of roughing the passer. 
Bryce Young was already down. There's no need for there to be any other contact once he's already down. And once uh, contact was already made by the guy who originally tackled him. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's dirty. That's too dirty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I can't really, I can't say I fault the defender because of the fact that, you know, he was already running full force as it is. And maybe he yes. didn't realize that the, that the ball was already out. And by the way, the ball hit his helmet too. So when I the ball was that, thrown, yeah. the ball hit his helmet. So at worst, it would have been an incomplete pass. I don't think it would have been a safety because I don't think there was a enough of a enough evidence as to whether or not the ball was out of his right. hand was fully out by the time uh his shin had hit the ground. Still believe that the uh you know the roughing the passer call was legitimate. Even though there were people that that were saying, "Oh, this is here comes the NCAA. This is their way of protecting Alabama. They got to have Alabama in the national championship every single year." Mm-hmm. I thought it was deserved. Oh, of course. But uh, you know, obviously, there's there's some people who believe that uh, that Texas got screwed. But I do. I mean. Uh, the, you know there there are different. You, you believe you believe Texas got screwed on that. I believe Texas got screwed. Yeah. I mean there there are different ways of looking at it. You could you could see it as maybe a potential safety because of the fact that the shin was down. But the you know the big question on that is was the shin down while the ball was still while he still had control of the ball. And that wasn't what they were challenging. They were challenging uh, the, the what's it called, uh, roughing the passer. Passer, mm-hmm. And that's basically, I, I think if they didn't go after that, if they, if they instead went after if the, uh, you know, if it would have been considered a safety, then yeah probably looked at and I believe it it could have been reversed to be a safety but regardless I mean it is it is what it is you know uh Texas they put up more of a fight than I thought they would I thought with them coming into the SEC that it was I originally I remember saying that coming into the uh, coming into the SEC could be a big mistake for Texas but they actually put up a fight against uh, against Alabama in a game where a lot of people felt that Alabama would probably school them, and it was no, it was nothing but that. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, it was anything but that. I mean, anything. Yes, I know. And it was anything but that. Yeah. But I didn't see. But like I said, I think Texas is a very underrated team, and you know, I think you know, you know Alabama. I think maybe uh, the college football experts. Might have misjudged it. The Texas could be a very strong team, especially at home. So, you know, even though they're not ranked and whatnot, you know, I, I don't, you know, they should have got more respect than you know, what people give them. Well, they don't give them much any respect. So, right. You know, it would, you know, they are a strong team, and it would be considered an upset. But 
I think they could have pulled it out. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's entirely possible that they could have pulled it out. Um, yeah. By the way, this just uh, this just went final. The Oklahoma Sooners thirty three to three over Kent State. I mean, not not like that's much of a shock at all. But uh, no. Michigan, they have increased their lead to thirty five nothing over Hawaii. So uh, like I said, aloha. One is not looking good whatsoever right now. Uh, a key, a key, uh, a key play that we saw get missed in the fourth quarter here between Kentucky and Florida. Kentucky had the opportunity to extend their lead to ten, and they missed the field goal just barely. Mm. They How just the barely goal? missed. Uh you know what? Let me check real quick. But Kentucky did just uh, – oh, did they just pick him off, actually? Or was that incomplete? Wait a minute. That was third and five. I think that was – that might have been a pick. Wait a minute. What was the run here? Nope, it was incomplete. Wait, so it was incomplete. Okay, so uh, Florida just committed a turnover on downs, it looks like. So – Kentucky right now has the ball at Florida's 24-yard line. So uh, let me look at the, let me look at the play real quick. Let me see what it was missed. It was a 38-yard attempt that was missed, which should have been a make should okay. have been a makeable play. It sh- it should have been a makeable yeah. play, but somehow. Somehow they ended up missing it. So they have about three three and a half minutes to go. Kentucky now has the ball, uh, presumably in a better position compared to where they were when they missed the field goal. So uh, actually, Mark Stoops with a win here will be the uh, the league or or not the league. He'll be the uh, the lead head coach in wins in Kentucky football history. So that's uh, that's something to keep an eye on here for for Kentucky fans in particular. I mean, obviously though, we we normally don't see Kentucky, you know, as a football as a football uh, powerhouse. No, you know, school as a football powerhouse. We see them more as a, as a basketball powerhouse. So I, I mean, it's it's kind of surprising, honestly, the fact the fact that Kentucky. And we're headed towards another upset here, actually, too, with Kentucky uh, 20th ranked over Florida 12th ranked. So, would be a bigger upset of Vanderbilt than anything because their football program is crap. Yeah. I'm like when when I see games that are listed with you know like Vanderbilt and UConn, I'm like oh yeah, right, sure. Yeah. Oh, and this one yeah. keeps going. This one looks like they got it to the five yard line, I think. Which game? Yep, yep. Five five yard line. Kentucky just got it to first and goal with about two minutes or so to go. So the uh, USC game is a, is a trash dump right now. Oh, oh boy, uh, thirty-eight to fourteen over Stanford. Possibly forty-four. Oh my! So Stan, so Stanford just turned it over. Then I think it it says well, here it's on ABC. Yeah. Uh, okay, but they uh, they called the touchdown back, so it's now thirty eight fourteen. But still, 
It's a lapper. Yeah. Well, uh, honestly, though, you know, you don't really look at Stanford as a football. Uh, you, you don't look at no. Stanford on the same uh, on the same level as USC. So. No. And then up next here we have uh, ninth ranked Baylor taking on twenty one twenty first ranked BYU. Uh, that will be on ESPN immediately following Kentucky and Florida uh, moving right, forward right. here. So, you know what, Lou? Let's talk. Let's talk some NFL because while we yeah, have while, while we have obviously college football, you know, uh, there's a whole bunch of big. Uh, uh, obviously, everybody looks forward to the NFL every single year. Uh, we do have the official, we do have the official injury reports that are out for each team already. Uh, okay. I will just, I, I'll just go through uh, basically any of the notable names uh, for each game that are on the uh, injury report. In particular, uh, for Saints and the Falcons, the Saints, you have Michael Thomas with a hamstring. And you have Tyron Matthew with an illness. And Falcons, really, the only notable questionable is uh, their wide receiver, Drake London, with a knee issue. It wasn't specified of what type of illness, though, correct? What what type of illness? No. It wasn't wasn't described. It just says it just says illness. It doesn't it doesn't say what type of illness, just illness. That could be anything. So I mean, he could he could he could have the flu, but he's listed as questionable. So okay, so it can't be the flu. Yeah, I mean, he's listed as questionable. Now on the other side, uh, you know, with Browns and Panthers, Michael Woods is listed as out with not just an not just a hamstring, but also an illness. So both the hamstring and the illness is keeping him out for tomorrow's game against the Panthers. Which, by the way, Baker Mayfield gets the attempt to have his revenge on his former team uh, involving Cleveland, of course. So, revenge. Uh, I was going to call it revenge. That's definitely, you know, that's definitely something uh, hopefully football fans will be able to watch for that one. Uh, 49ers against the Bears. The Niners uh, have George Kittle as questionable with a groin injury, but for the most part, there's not really anybody else uh, notable uh, but between both teams. The Steelers and the Bengals, the Steelers have a perfect health report, no injuries whatsoever. Wow. The Bengals, the Bengals, their only notable player is Devin Asiasi, the tight end that they acquired from the New England Patriots. He is out with a quad yeah. injury. But other than that, other than that, not, no one really to report on theirs. The Eagles against the Lions, the Eagles have a perfect in, uh, injury report. Yeah, the Lions, they have Frank Ragnow. Uh, as questionable, their center Frank Ragnow is questionable with a groin injury, and that's basically it for the notables there. The Colts and the Texans. You have first for the Colts. You have Shaquille Leonard who is out with a back injury. The Texans. They have Mario Addison, defensive lineman, is listed as doubtful with a thigh injury. For New England versus Miami. 
New England, you got Jacoby Myers, Ty Montgomery, all li- both listed as questionable with knee injuries. And Isaiah Wynn is listed as questionable with a back injury. Over on the Dolphins' side, you have Eric Rowe, who is listed as questionable with a pectoral injury, Salvin Ahmed with a heel injury, and Raquan Davis, their defensive tackle, with a knee injury. So those are real. There, there are a couple of other players too, but they're more they're more depth players, if anything. Right. Uh, for Ravens and Jets, Ravens, you have Ronnie Stanley, who is out with an ankle injury. You have J.K. Dobbins, who is questionable with a knee injury, as well as Marcus Peters, who is listed as questionable. For the Jets, Zach Wilson obviously is still out with his knee with his knee issue. Uh, he yeah, had he surgery, was. obviously, so so we kind of figured that he may miss week one. Four week, yeah, He'll four be out weeks. For four, but, he's out for four weeks. Oh, so four additional weeks. Well, he should be back because yeah, league rules say if you're because I think he was on uh, injured reserve, so he will be out for uh, four weeks. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, so then yeah, if, he, yeah, if he's on injured reserve, it was determined, reserve, it was determined on Monday. Games. Okay, so yeah, yeah, he'll be out until week five then. So yeah, but look who you got we'll to replace see. him with. Ugh. Hey, that just means that just means they go with Mike White. They go with either Mike White or Joe Flacco. They're going with Flacco. Flacco. Uh, oh my God. I, I still, I mean, I get the fact that he's a former Super Bowl champion, but come on. If, Thank if you. you choose between, if you choose between two players uh, based on performance, I'm sorry, I'm going with Mike White. I don't, I, I wouldn't go with Flacco. Uh, Flacco's a dinosaur. Of, based off of the last couple of years. Um, yes. Let's see. They also had on their uh, on their injury list. Uh, Dwayne Brown is out with a shoulder issue. Although I heard yep. he is also on on the injured list, I think as well. I think it was so he'll be out for at least at least four weeks or so, I believe. And also we have George Fant, who is listed as questionable with a knee injury. So uh, that offensive line's pretty banged up for the Jets to start off the season mm-hmm. here. It's a wrecking crew. Uh, Jaguars and Commanders, the only real notable injury is uh, Logan Thomas, the tight end for the Commanders, is questionable with a knee injury. That's pretty much it, essentially. Uh, For the Giants and Titans, Tavon Thibodeau is listed as doubtful for the Giants with a knee injury. Uh, For the Titans, yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not real. They have four players out with respective injuries, but I'm not really seeing anybody notable on the Titans. For the Chiefs and for the Chiefs and Cardinals, the Chiefs, they have a perfect uh a perfect uh slate, no help. Uh for the Cardinals, Trayvon Mullen is out with a toe injury, but I believe he's on injured reserve, so that's why he's listed on the injury report. Uh Zach Ertz and J.J. Watt are questionable with calf injuries. Justin mm. Pugh is also questionable with a neck injury, and that's pretty much it there. 
Uh, the Raiders and Chargers, the Raiders have a clean bill of health. Here's where it's potentially damaging for the Chargers. J.C. Jackson, it sounds like, is unable to play with his ankle injury. Yeah. That's going to really open that offense for the Raiders, especially especially with their new number one receiver. So, needless to say, I think it's entirely possible we could see a high-scoring game from the Raiders tomorrow mm. on CBS. Because I guarantee you, they are going to target whoever replaces Jason Jackson. They are going to target that part of the field. But right now, though, J.C. Jackson is listed as doubtful for for that matchup. <laughs> Packers and Vikings. Uh, on the Packers side, Alan Lazard is listed as doubtful with an ankle injury. And you also have David Bakhtiari, offensive tackle, who is questionable with a knee injury. And not really anybody on the Vikings side. Tampa Bay and the Cowboys, you have Chris Godwin, who is questionable with a knee injury, and Russell Gage, questionable with a hamstring injury. For the Cowboys, Michael Gallup is officially out with his knee issue. I think, is he on injured reserve? Oh, wait, uh, say the name again. Michael Gallup. Um, I don't think he is. Okay, so he he must have just been ruled out for just this week then because yeah. he is out uh, officially with a knee injury, and J. Ron Kearse is questionable with a neck injury, it says here, For as far as the Cowboys go. Moving on to Monday night's game, we have for the Broncos, uh, Randy Gregory is questionable with a shoulder and a knee issue. For the Seahawks, uh, Kenneth Walker is questionable with a hernia issue. So that's actually a new addition because originally he was not on the uh, injury report. So their lead, the, the Seahawks may be without their lead running back. And it's already bad enough that they have Geno Smith starting at quarterback. So, you know, needless to say, Lou, I think with uh, with Russell Wilson's return to Seattle, we're mm-hmm. we're probably looking at a uh, at a feast for the Denver Broncos. How do you think the crowd's going to react with return? Uh you know, I don't think it was. I don't think it was his decision to leave. So I would. I would. Well, hope that, that case, they probably are, not. And then it should, then it should be so hostile. I would. I would hope that they. Uh, that they react. Uh, they at least give him a standing ovation, at first. By the yeah. way, uh, Kentucky. Kentucky officially hit a field goal. It's now twenty-six to sixteen with a minute twenty-four to go. Because, uh, you know, sometimes when a player returns to their old haunts, you know, the crowd can get, you know, you know, really rowdy on them and, like, get lost, you traitor. How dare you leave us? That's what you could, you know, you, you know so, um, you know, that, that had happened. Don't forget, though, he was traded. It's not like he left on his own. Right. Because he had, he had, but he I had reaffirmed, that. he had reaffirmed that he wanted to stay in Seattle. So... 
I think Seattle right now is looking at this team as a rebuilding team. So in doing so, they decided, you know what, let's, instead of having Russell Wilson waste his remaining years on a rebuilding team, let's go, let's get him, let's allow him to go somewhere where he feels that he can contend or let's just get whatever we can get for him basically, which they ultimately ended up doing, uh, you know, shipping, shipping him off to, to uh, Denver, which they got a pretty big haul, honestly, for, uh, for Wilson. So that was, that was honestly, that was a pretty good, uh, a pretty good, pickup for both sides actually even though it does hurt Seattle you know losing a franchise icon like Russell Wilson Buffalo game where do I begin here with this with this one this I don't know if I don't know if Buffalo is that good this year or if or if the Rams have have uh you know if they're if they're in uh in the beginning stages of that Super Bowl hangover. I was just gonna say that's what it was, Super Bowl hangover. I mean, because you know, but it didn't look at it first because Buffalo, you know, and the Rams, you know, they were very competitive, and you know, Josh Allen was making kind of mistakes in the first. Uh, half of the game. So it looked pretty much even. Right. But then after this after the uh halftime so then what happened and the Rams just like just fell flying the rats. Right. And not just that, you know, Von Miller was a huge force in that yes. Buffalo defense. Two sacks, three tackles for loss. Uh he had four tackles total on the night. I mean it was it it really seemed like the second half Buffalo completely picked things up. Uh, Josh Allen had four combined touchdowns, three passing, one uh, one rushing. He did throw two picks, but he finished with 26 completions on 31 attempts for 297 yards. Uh, he was sacked twice by LA's defense. But I mean, you take a look at the at the uh, receiving numbers. Stefan Diggs eight for 122 yards, including a touchdown. His longest catch being a 53 yarder. Uh, Gabriel Davis four catches 88 yards with a touchdown, and his longest being a 47 yarder. And then you had, of course, you had Jamison Crowder with three catches for 28 yards, and Zach Moss for six catches. Uh, for 21 yards and a couple of a couple of other ones spread out there with uh, Isaiah McKenzie and Devin Singletary, but right. regardless, though this was it, it, right. I don't I can't tell if Buffalo is that much better or if LA was just experiencing a Super Bowl hangover. I think it was just a Super Bowl hangover. I mean, you take a look at their big acquisition this offseason, Allen Robinson, and he only had one catch for 12 yards. Their big acquisition this year, and that's all they got out of him. From a guy who was the number one wide receiver out of Chicago, 
last year. I mean, obviously you have Cooper Cup with 13 catches, 128 yards, and a touchdown. The Cooper Cup is is performing as expected. Yeah. So, I mean, that's you know that's basically to be expected from him. Uh, there wasn't really much of a run game from from L.A. Uh, Daryl Henderson had 13 carries for 47 yards. Uh, on the Buffalo side, Josh Allen had the most carries with 10 carries for 56 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Singletary had a couple of carries as well for 48 yards. And Zach mm-hmm. Moss had six for 15. So, ultimately, uh, that pretty much it for the first game of the NFL season. By the way, this is now official. Kentucky with the 26-16 to 16 upset over Florida. So, Kentucky improves to 2-0. and oh, Florida falls to 1-1. One and one. But, you know, I got to tell, tell you, Lou, looking into this, uh, this upcoming NFL season, I'm not really I, – I, of course, I'm a Patriots fan, but I am not feeling confident at all the Patriots roster this year. I'm not surprised I mean, by that. They've gotten faster, but you have a defensive coach – calling offensive plays. You know, Matt Patricia, who failed spectacularly as the Lions head coach. You know, it's it, it seems like it's 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 a rep, it's a recipe for disaster. I mean, yeah, that you know, they got better, they got better uh or I shouldn't say they got better because let's face it, they got worse defensively this this they got worse. season. Uh, by not by not paying J.C. Jackson, but they did get better a little bit offensively, bringing in Devontae Parker. And who knows? Maybe perhaps this first week, uh, you know, Mac Jones gets to show a little bit uh, more of what he can do, considering the fact that uh, this preseason he was pretty limited to in, in terms of playing time. So it's it's still questionable, but I'll I'll just put it this way: I am not looking forward to the Patriots this year. I just have a bad feeling that uh, that this AFC East is potentially going to be run by the Bills and the Dolphins, especially with the Dolphins. Now, you know, I know a lot of people will say, "Oh, come on." Tyreek Hill can't be that much of an impact maker for Miami. I beg to differ. Miami has always been good defensively. Their big problem has been their offense. Now they have two legitimate options at receiver with Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill. If Tua can get the balls to Tyreek Hill, Look out! I'm telling you right now. Look out for Miami to potentially be a, a playoff team this yeah, year. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I would I would be surprised if if they improved like they did and somehow don't make the playoffs. I would be very surprised. 
for the uh, as far as the AFC East goes, I I think it's going to be Bills or Buffs. And as a matter of fact, I actually have the Buffalo Bills as my uh, as my Super Bowl pick this year. So, you know, I'm ex- I'm kind of expecting that we're probably looking at a Buffalo Bills uh, matchup, at least representing the AFC. Uh, you know, a lot of people say that with Kansas City. Uh, a lot of people believe Kansas City is still going to be in the thick of things. I think they'll be in the thick of things. But the big problem is they lost Tyreek Hill. They lost their separation. Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously McCole Hardman can step into that role because he is definitely fast. He's he's just as fast as Tyreek Hill. But I haven't seen McCole Hardman get open like you can see Tyreek Hill get open the way he was able to. I think that loss of Hill is going to be a lot bigger for Kansas City than a lot of people think it is. So I wouldn't be surprised if Kansas City potentially takes a step back this year, no matter how good, yeah, uh, you know, no matter how good Pat Mahomes is, and the fact that he has, uh, he still has Travis Kelsey. Uh, he lost a pretty big weapon in Tyreek Hill this off season. And now you have, uh, you know, you have Devontae Adams in the same division as you. You have Russell Wilson in the same division as you. The Chargers improved this offseason. The AFC West is going to be a barn burner. I would be surprised if we see anything different than a barn burner between all four of those AFC, uh, all four of those AFC teams, AFC West teams. The South, I mean, the South is probably going to be the same as it's always been. It'll be either the Titans or the Colts. North, honestly, I would say either Ravens or Bengals. I don't see the Steelers uh, no. being successful being successful with Mitch Trubisky. Matter of fact, I think Kenny Pickett, uh, before the end of the season, at some point, Kenny Pickett will, will take over Mitch Trubisky as the starter. And Cleveland, I mean, Cleveland is just a mess now with, uh, you know, with, with, with them not having Deshaun Watson for yeah. more than half, for, for at least half the year. Uh, that, with, with, with uh, Jacoby Brissett being their starter, that is, it, it's it's not it's not a good start. I'll just put it that way. No. The NFC East, I think it'll be a dogfight between the Cowboys and the Eagles, especially with the Eagles bringing in AJ Brown. I do. Uh, I, I just don't, I just don't know. I, I th- I do think it'll definitely be a dogfight, but I would not be surprised if the Eagles take control of the NFC East this year. The Eagles improved a lot more than the Cowboys did. Mm-hmm. did. But I do think I do think it'll be a dogfight though. Uh, NFC North, I think you're probably looking at Packers and Vikings. I don't see the Bears. Uh, 
even though depending on how on how much Justin Fields has improved from last season, I don't see the Bears being legitimate contenders. And the Lions, the Lions are laughable. That's all you can really say about them. Although I don't know, you know, what, what do you think about the Packers, Lou? Do you think that they could potentially take a step backwards with them no longer having Devontae Adams? You still got you still got Aaron Rodgers, so no, I don't look them taking a step back. Yeah, you see, that's the only that's the only thing that kind of makes me think maybe they may stay where they are is the fact that they still have Aaron Rodgers. He's basically like Tom Brady almost for them. So, but part of me still thinks that okay, Rodgers doesn't have his number one option. And he's starting off the season with Alan Lazard on, uh, on, you know, uh, with some right. sort of injury. So potentially ugly early on for for uh, Green Bay. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward. Uh, the South, obviously, it'll be between the Saints and the Bucks. But let's face it, it's the Buccaneers. As as long as Brady is still playing, even though he doesn't have Gronk, he has other options to go to. Yeah, the Bucks take the South. I saw. I still think the Bucks take the South. Um, and the West, though, obviously the Seahawks aren't going to be in it. You know, it could be potentially a dogfight between the Niners, Cardinals, and Rams depending on how well Trey Lance performs early on. I mean, Garoppolo obviously signed that extension to, you know, to where uh, his his uh, cap space is actually, uh, is actually lowered a little bit. Uh, I think they signed him to like a $6 million extension or something for one more year. So basically providing insurance for Trey Lance if Trey Lance ends up uh falling ends up falling off a cliff or something the cardinals you know i would almost say maybe the front runner might be the cardinals or the rams depending on if the rams can shake off the rust because i mean the cardinals have greatly improved since yes, last year so uh, what are what are your thoughts, Lou? I mean, who do you see uh, with the AFC and NFC? Who do you think would be I, uh, would be teams to look out for? I think Miami would be a team to look out for in the AFC. I would be surprised. I, uh, AFC, I uh, can't really can't really tell, but AFC, AFC I think is going to look uh, stronger this stronger this year. Especially if Miami can get its act together. Yeah, I agree. You know, I th- I think especially with Miami, uh, the fact that I, I I think we'll really see Week One against the Patriots, considering the fact that the Patriots' key is defense, and they're more of a defensive team, and we'll see exactly what the real uh, power of this new look Miami offense is going to look like. Because if you have Tyreek Hill on on that same, uh, out on the field at the same time, 
Still there, Steve? Sorry about that. I somehow got disconnected for some reason. Uh, right now I'm trying to get my main uh, phone reconnected to uh, the to the call. Hopefully uh, we can uh, we can get it back on here. But um, back to what I was saying though about the uh, Miami Dolphins. I mean, if you have you know, a player like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell on the on the roster at the same time, or, you know, out there on the field at the same time. I mean, it's just going to be uh, – it's going to be a hard team to try and cover. So yes. moving forward, you know, I feel like the Dolphins are probably going to be – especially with the fact they have Gesicki out there too as their tight end. Uh, it's entirely possible that the Dolphins may be a uh, a huge force offensively to be reckoned with. I would think so. A lot of people are thinking that Miami's going to you know do something uh, this year, which is bad news for yeah. Jets, of course. Yeah, and, and by the by the way, sorry about that, Lou. Uh, I was in the middle of I was in the middle of speaking, and then all of a sudden. Uh, my phone got disconnected, and actually, you know, it's it's funny that I mention this because right now on the switchboard, it still says that my phone is the host. Okay. Well, even though, even though I'm on my other phone right now. No, we're still here, so it's some consolation. Yeah, but. You know, ultimately, though, I mean, I mean, you know, we have about 12 minutes left, so I think we'll probably just finish off the, uh, we'll finish off the the 12 minutes, All and right. then we'll probably end it for tonight after that. Um, All right. But we do have a few other uh, a few other bits here. Uh, the Raiders they did sign tight end Darren Waller to a three year extension uh, worth about 51 million dollars, uh, which adds. It, put, it basically puts his contract to about five years uh, at around 66 and a quarter million dollars total because uh, he had about two years remaining on his uh, regular deal. And it places him actually just outside the top five at the uh, tight end position for, 
a regular salary of $13.3 million per year. And it's actually a win for Waller because this now puts him uh, through his age 34 season, which would probably give him enough for enough of an opportunity to potentially test the market one time before, you know, for one final big deal, depending on how the remainder of this contract goes. Right. So, I I mean, it it really looks like they're building up uh, something for Vegas right now. They're really building up a... uh, you know, a potential, uh, something special potentially there if they can get all the pieces in place. Uh, Also, we have here the uh, Arizona Cardinals. They signed edge rusher Marcus Golden to a one-year extension through the 2023 season. Uh, it's reportedly worth around $6.5 million. Uh, he missed some time at practice this week with a toe injury, uh, which right. is a sign that some reporters had originally taken as him negotiating the contract. Uh, however, he told reporters earlier this week that he dropped a kettleball on his toe, okay. which, uh, which, is the, which resulted in the toe injury, obviously. Um, But he did have 11 sacks last year, and he is a fine complementary edge rusher. So with the Cardinals this year, he'll be pushed into the number one role with them no longer having Chandler Jones. Uh, Also, the L.A. Rams, according to Coach Sean McVay, have said that uh, center Brian Allen is set to have a clean-out procedure and will miss around two to four weeks with his knee issue. So uh, Coleman Shelton will instead kick over to center, and that will leave 2027th-round pick uh, Tremaine Ankrum as the right guard for the L.A. Rams. Uh, that means that I, I mean obvi- obviously you know the ran- the offensive line didn't do any favors for Matthew Stafford in the open in the season opener uh, this past Thursday and this uncertainty now is just going to add to uh, to the potential problems that they're going to face. However, though, I mean. Unless they have extreme pressure problems against the Falcons next week? I don't think so. I mean, it's probably not time to hit the panic button unless unless they have real problems next week against the Falcons. Then it may be potentially time for uh, for Rams fans to hit the panic button. But yeah, like you said, Lou, I doubt I doubt that that will happen. So I mean, it's a Falcons crying out loud. Yeah. They haven't done anything uh, since they lost the Super Bowl, even though technically right. didn't because they got cheated. Right, yeah. Uh, Elsewhere, uh, running back Kyan Williams for the Rams will also have surgery on his high ankle sprain, and he will be sidelined around six to eight weeks. Uh, There was talk that Williams was going to be involved in the Rams' backfield rotation to start the season, but now since the rookie suffered this injury, 
sounds like a stint on injured reserve is forthcoming, which means that Jake Funk will instead be the number three running back in this uh, in this depth chart with Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson still comprising the top roles moving and forward. And they'll watch it. will be in a Funk. Yeah, exactly. Uh, some other some bits of uh, MLB news. Uh, Yankees manager Aaron Boone confirmed this past Monday that Andrew Benintendi will undergo surgery uh, to repair a broken hamate bone in his right wrist. Uh, it sounds like that they fully expect him to return, though, prior to the end of the regular season. So he shouldn't really miss that much time, from what it sounds no. like. But the injuries are piling up too much, you know, for the Yankees now. They really need to be careful. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, they definitely need to be careful, especially considering how much of a slump they're on right now. You know, exactly. They can't, Four and a half game they lead can't, now. Yeah, they can't afford to have all these injuries end up uh, end up mounting up. Uh, also, for the Boston Red Sox, uh, Tanner Houck has officially been shut down for the rest of the season as he will undergo season-ending back surgery. Uh, he is expected to be fully healthy for the start of spring training. It also sounds like uh, he will be transitioned back into a starting role for next year. Uh, speaking of starters, it looks like Nathan Eovaldi may also be out for the rest of the year with an, with an injury he's dealing with, as well as Eric Hosmer, which prompted the call-up earlier this week of Tristan Casas, the uh, prized first baseman uh, prospect that the Boston Red Sox have. So, uh, you know, there's definitely there's definitely uh, there, there, there's definitely a bunch of injury issues now uh, surrounding surrounding yeah, the yeah. league. Uh, Brett Batty, as well, uh, the uh, top prospect for the Mets, I think. Yep. Yes. Uh, he went down with a torn UCL in his right thumb. I mean, he so, was, you know, a big deal when the Mets, when they got with the Mets. We were great for his first game, and they were really yeah. raving about him. And yeah, the Mets I mean, that slump because they'd actually lost uh, the lead to the Braves. Now, who would have thought that was going to happen? Exactly, and you know, he had been hitting 184 in uh, 11 in his first 11 games with a pair of homers and five RBIs. Mm-hmm. So still, it's. I mean, it doesn't sound like he's expected to be sidelined for long, uh, and he could potentially return before the end of the regular season if he doesn't have any setbacks. So right. that's at least good news for for Mets fans, but uh, that remains to be seen. Of course, um, the Boston Red Sox they signed infielder slash outfielder Enrique Hernandez to a one-year $10 million contract extension. Uh, So he will remain in Boston through the 2023 campaign on a deal that does not include any additional options or bonuses. Uh, The versatile outfielder was excellent last postseason in his Red Sox debut, but he has struggled this season to stay healthy, combining just a mediocre 
well, it says here, at the time of this writing, it had said 219 batting average, but I, I don't know what it is right now. Uh, with six homers uh, over, at the time, 68 games. But obviously it's probably better than that, uh, considering the beating that they put on the Orioles earlier today. Yeah. Uh, also, the Diamondbacks, they exercised a club option for the 2023 season for their manager, Tori Lavulo. So he will return for a seventh season as Arizona's manager. Uh, his first year as a, bench bo- as a bench boss in Arizona was a rousing success at 93-69 and 69, and also defeating the Colorado Rockies in the wild card game that year before they fell to the Dodgers in the NLDS. Uh, since then, though, uh, the sailing hasn't been as smooth. Oh, and he was also awarded manager of the year that year as well. But, yes. uh, since then, though, the performance hasn't been as smooth, uh, falling further towards 500, basically. Uh, however, last year, basically everything went wrong and they fell to a 52 and 110 record. So I guess this is just a way for the Diamondbacks for him to just play out his co- to to manage out his contract yeah. essentially. So, anyways, though uh, that's yeah. gonna probably wrap it up for tonight uh, because of my connection issues. Hopefully next week uh, we will be back and everything will be uh, will be in full order. Uh, hopefully we can get we can get a uh, a full three hour show next week. But with the way with the way that my uh, my connection has been going in and out here, I uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we were to get disconnected during the during the extra portion. So uh, we'll probably end it for tonight. Uh, but thank you, Lou, for joining me tonight and and for joining me as always. If you ever get a chance on a Saturday, I know it, it might be a tight squeeze, but try to come on my show if you can. I mean, you know, we, I, can use, I can use your expertise. Uh, I'll give you the number uh, in case you're interested. It's 512-543-4662. I'll be again, 512-543-4662, and the name of the show is The Enhanced Sports Show. Um, you don't need to go through any um, stuff with the blog talk and all that nonsense. You know, just dial in straight through, and I'll get you in. All right, what uh, what time? 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern time. I know it's a little bit of a tight squeeze, but you know. All right, I'll see. I'll see if I can join. If I can join you. Um, yeah. Possibly, possibly even next week, actually. So. Great. Um, Love to have you. All right. Uh, yeah, and we will see you guys all next week. Everybody have a good uh, weekend. 